the Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the 8th chapter, beginning with the 31st verse. Glory Glory to you, O Lord. Lord. Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all of this quite openly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel, will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when He comes in the glory of His Father with the holy angels. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, O Christ. Won't you join me in a word of prayer? Good and gracious Heavenly Father, we praise you for who you are. We thank you for all that you have done, are doing, and will do for us. Thank you for being our God and claiming us as your children, for being our shepherd and claiming us as your sheep. We thank you, Lord, for the gift of salvation, for your grace, your mercy, and the full pardon of all of our sins. We ask now that you would speak once again to us an enlivening, rejuvenating word. We ask that you would restore us and heal us in all those areas of our life which are broken. Grant us now wisdom. Increase our faith, our hope, and our love for you and for our fellow human beings. Speak now, Lord, for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. (coughs) You may be seated. (coughs) My sermon text for this morning is the gospel lesson, Mark chapter 8 verses 31 through 38, and my sermon title for today is Stealing Home, Stealing Home. The text that we have before us this morning is in many ways a linchpin and serves as perhaps the chief turning point in the grand narrative of Jesus' life that we call the gospel. In each of the three so-called synoptic or similar gospels, of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, this portion of the story occurs roughly halfway through as Jesus concludes his ministry up north in Galilee and begins his journey south to Jerusalem, where he will eventually suffer and die. Given the time and location then, Jesus has got to begin turning his disciples' attention to the true and demanding nature of his and their mission. Heretofore, 
they have had largely good and positive experiences. Jesus has called them from their mundane lives to follow Him as disciples. They have heard Him preach about the kingdom of God and teach in parables concerning the same. They have seen Him perform exorcisms, cast out unclean spirits, heal the sick, cleanse lepers, restore mobility to the lame, forgive sins, steal stormy seawaters, raise a girl from the dead, walk on water, feed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish, feed another 7,000 with seven loaves and a few smiths, restore hearing and speech to the deaf and sight to the blind. His disciples could certainly be forgiven their excitement and unadulterated enthusiasm at the huge success so far of Jesus' ministry and the fact that they have been granted a front row seat to it all. When you experience firsthand the power of God to alter and transform lives, my friends, it is easy to be swept up in a euphoric and blissful state, unmindful of the less attractive, more unsettling aspects of discipleship. Jesus, aware of this, introduces the uncomfortable topic here for the first time. Knowing what awaits him in the near future, he must not only forewarn them, but he must begin to wrap their minds around the true cost of following him, the true cost of Christian discipleship. Verses 31 through 33 constitute what is known as the first of three so called passion predictions that is, predictions of Jesus' upcoming suffering and death. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering, that He must be rejected and be killed, and after three days, rise again. He repeats the same thing in the next chapter, beginning in verse 30. He taught His disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is to be betrayed into human hands, and they will kill Him. And three days after being killed, he will rise again. The disciples' reaction is recorded thereafter, but they did not understand what he was saying, and they were afraid to ask him. It's starting to sink in somewhat by the third time, this time in chapter 10, verse 32, as it records, as they were on the road to Jerusalem, those who followed Jesus were afraid. And he repeated for the final time, this time more explicitly, the Son of Man will be handed over. They will condemn him to death. They will mock Him and spit on Him and flog Him and kill Him. And after three days, He will rise again. Clearly, the instruction bears repeating. It has often been noted that God's chosen people, the Jews, were not expecting a suffering Messiah, a Savior who would be ridiculed and then put to death as a common criminal. But really, that's a scandalous notion to all of us. We want a God of victory not defeat. We want a God of power, not weakness. A God of vindication, not failure. A God of blinding lights, not of depressing darkness. A God of life, not death. A God of glory, not of a cross. We want a God who can conquer this evil world, not succumb to it. What kind of God is that? What kind of God indeed? It's a pity the lectionary doesn't assign the four verses preceding this text or the eight subsequent verses for that matter, for in some ways that presents a more complete picture. If you wanted to contemplate a baseball analogy, 
verses 27 through 30, directly preceding our text this morning, would constitute first base. They concern Peter's famous confession at Caesarea Philippi. Who do people say that I am? Jesus asked his disciples. Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, others one of the great prophets, they respond. But who do you say that I am? Jesus continues. You are the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God, Peter boldly proclaims. One could argue that first base in this case is confession. Confession of who Jesus is. Verses 31 through 33, here in this text, in this scenario, constitute second base. Jesus began to teach them that he must undergo great suffering, be rejected and be killed, and after three days, rise. He said all this quite openly. But Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. One could argue that second base is understanding. Understanding your confession of Jesus as Messiah. Understanding what kind and what type of Messiah he is. In this instance, Peter is thrown out at second. He gets the confession right and is even applauded for it. But he, like us, gets the understanding of it wrong. And so he's thrown out at second. He knows that Jesus is the Messiah, but he just doesn't know what kind of Messiah Jesus is or will be. Verses 34 through 38 constitute third base. Jesus called the crowd with his disciples and he said to them, If any want to become my followers, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words, of them I will be ashamed when I return in my glory. So one could say that third base is imitation. Imitating the life of Jesus by following in His path. Imitating the self-emptying nature of love. The self-giving of a life in service to others. Contrary to a prosperity gospel which has gained traction in many quarters a health and wealth gospel, a name it and claim it, theology and religiosity. Contrary to all that stands the clarion call of Christ. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Oftentimes in life, we get thrown out somewhere running the bases. We get the confession right, but not the understanding. Or we get the understanding right, but not the imitation. Jesus is the Messiah. He is a suffering Messiah. And He calls us to join Him in that suffering, in the sacrificial giving away of ourselves for the sake of the world. If we were to steal home, we would notice that home plate is the next eight verses outside our text this morning. Namely, the story of Jesus' transfiguration on the mountaintop, where He appears dazzling bright in the company of Moses and Elijah in front of His disciples Peter, James, and John. Home plate is always beholding the glorious face of God. 
the destination of all of us because of God's unconditional love for us and His grace, mercy, and forgiveness of all our sins. So, confession, understanding, imitation, transfiguration. Confession, understanding, imitating, transfiguration. I think if we are honest with ourselves, we are very much like Peter and the rest of the disciples. Peter goes from the rock on whom Jesus will build his church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it to Satan in one brief exchange for not understanding the nature of Christ or his own upcoming discipleship. The disciples, and I quote, do not understand what Jesus is saying here in his passion predictions. And they are afraid to ask him. Let's be honest. In an American culture, which is almost exclusively focused on upward mobility, climbing the ladder, running the rat race, keeping up with the Joneses, and accumulating as much stuff as possible along the way, is there any more difficult? Is there any more challenging, more demanding, and let's face it, more ignored command of Christ than to deny ourselves, pick up our crosses, and follow Think about it. How many of us lead a life of active self-denial? Of active cross-bearing? Of active loss? Actually, a lot of us. If you have ever struggled with addiction in any form or fashion, whether yourself or a loved one, you've experienced denial, cross-bearing, and loss. If you've ever struggled with sickness, debilitating pain and affliction, or a terminal life-threatening illness, you've experienced denial, cross-bearing, and loss. If you've ever wrestled significantly with low self-esteem, codependency, or having to live up to others' expectations of you rather than your own, if you've ever had aspersions cast upon your character or your integrity maligned, you have experienced denial, cross-bearing, and loss. If you've ever been separated or divorced in your marriage, alienated or estranged in a relationship with a loved one, or lost a dear family member or friend to death, you have experienced verses 34 and 35 in all their pungent bitterness. If you've ever been in the throes of depression, entrapped in the cords of loneliness, paralyzed by fear and anxiety, or incapacitated by guilt and shame. You are more than acquainted with bearing up under the weight of your own cross and trudging up your own way of sorrows, your own Via Dolorosa. If truth be told plainly, life is so replete with suffering and struggles trials and tribulations that oftentimes just to make it from one day to the next requires an inordinate amount of courage and stamina. And in such times and at such moments, we would do well to cling to the gospel promise of the last words of verse 31. Of the four verbs in that self-descriptive verse, the first three command the most attention. But it is the last which is the most important. If our faith as Christian disciples is tied to Jesus' own faith, let's look at those verbs. Undergo great suffering. Be rejected. 
be killed. And after three days, rise again. In the second such passion prediction, the verbs are betrayed, killed, three days later, rising again. In the third such prediction, the verbs are even more. Handed over, condemned, mocked, spit upon, flogged, killed, rise again. No matter what they did to Jesus, He rose again. No matter what they do to you, you will rise again. Despite your loneliness and sadness, you will rise again. Despite your pain, bitterness, and sorrow, you will rise again. Despite your fear, anxiety, grief, and anger, you will rise again. Despite your bankruptcy and financial distress, you will rise again. Despite your abuse, neglect, molestation, and harassment, you will rise again. Despite your confusion, lack of clarity, and uncertainty, you will rise again. Oh, the Christian life involves struggle, but it ends in victory. The Christian life involves suffering, but it ends in peace. Discipleship, following in Jesus' footsteps, involves hardship and loss, but it ends in vindication, it ends in gain. Oh, the psalmist said it best. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. And weeping may endure for the night, but joy, joy cometh in the morning. And the prophet of old once declared, I will change their garment of shame into a mantle of praise. Oh, my friends, whether you know it or not, you have rounded first base of confession of Jesus as Messiah. You have rounded second base of understanding that He is a suffering Messiah. You have even rounded third base of imitation, of denying yourself, picking up your own cross and following Him. And now you are stealing home. You are sliding home. You are on the Mount of Transfiguration, beholding the beautiful face of Christ in the company of all the saints and martyrs in glory. And the devil, the devil is throwing the ball as hard and as fast as he can, trying to get you out at home plate, and you know what the call of the umpire is? Safe. Stealing home. Stealing home. Amen.